I was actually in Bali at the time. I was scaling up my ads. Uh, I actually hit new revenue highs. Like I doubled my previous day of sales while I was in Bali on okay. holidays. But so you're I, living the life. At yeah, this point. <laughs> yeah, living the life, sipping bintangs in the pool, <laughs> watching my sales go up to like eight thousand dollars a day, and I was like, wait. How do I fulfill all of these? Welcome to Start Yours, a podcast by Obolo about how to start your own thing. Whether that's a business, a blog, an e-commerce store, perhaps you're just thinking about ditching your day job and don't really know where to start when you're launching your own thing. Whatever it is, we've got you covered. I'm Alicia McCormack and this episode I'm bringing you an interview that my colleague David Ranikar recorded with Emma Reid, who, as you'll hear in this episode, has really experienced the highs and lows of e-commerce and drop shipping. Emma has made a bunch of money and she's lost a bunch of money. She has learned the hard way about working with suppliers and the very stressful situation of being very successful but not being able to keep up with orders and therefore having to refund a lot of money to customers who are very disappointed and angry. What I love about this episode is that Emma isn't coming out of the gate promising that you're going to make millions of dollars. She has made a lot of money, but also she's very open and honest about the mistakes that were made along her journey and also how she's now come back and relaunched an e-commerce business, but is using all of the insights and experiences that she had in her previous store that wasn't necessarily as smooth sailing and is now doing really well. Emma is a fellow Australian. We are known for being quite outspoken and not afraid to tell it like it is, which is exactly what you'll hear in this episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, then be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We are releasing two per week at the moment, and we are really enjoying bringing you merchant stories and interviews with experts to help guide you on your way. We love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to get in touch, all you need to do is email podcast at obelo.com and we'll get back to you. All right, now David's interview with Emma Reid. Whenever we get to to talk with e-commerce entrepreneurs, it's always fun to hear about their earlier side hustles before they got into e-commerce. And Oberlo users um, have had all sorts of different things that they've been into, from fixing up old bikes to, to currency trading and so on. Your first side hustle uh, is also pretty funny, and it dates back to when you were 11 years old, and basically you kind of uh, hacked this video game called Habo Hotel. Talk a bit about what Habo Hotel is for those of us who, who didn't grow up with it, and talk about uh, how you were able to, to earn money online through this video game uh, way before you ever you know, were launching e-commerce businesses. So I played a lot of video games when I was a kid, and this was one of my first online video games that I played. Um, you could actually run your own hotel and have your rooms and try to be the best in the game. Basically, it was a social thing where you would go and chat to people and play mini games. Like you would have clubs and discos and all of that, but you could actually create your own club or disco if you had the in-game currency. So you would go to like EB Games or GameStop for the U Americans. You could go to GameStop and buy the gift card for the online credits and put that into the game. So it was real money that would get converted into Habo Hotel money. Yes, real okay. money into the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how. Like you had um, club membership, which was a monthly fee, where you could get like the rare furniture. And if you if they release limited edition items, 
you could buy that up if you're a club member, if you had the credits available. And then later on, when uh, the demand was big to get these items and they were sort of rare, they increased in scarcity, you could sell them for more. You could sell them for more profit. So there was an online marketplace where you could buy and sell at your own rates. The market sets the rates or you could buy from their store where they have you know higher inflated prices and not all of the items available. The more e-commerce entrepreneurs that we get to talk to, the more convinced I am that there's some sort of overlap between you know, running an e-commerce store on, on the one hand and then a bunch of other things uh, that don't really have anything to do uh, with e-commerce. So these other things I'm talking about, I would include like online poker, for example. I think fantasy sports fall into this bucket. Uh, and I would definitely include uh, video games. And so I think you know, all these things have this element of, of hustle. They're really competitive, um, you know, and it's, it's situations where um, there's going to be a finite number of winners and everybody's playing by the same rules. And it's kind of, you know, a zero sum, you know, competition in some way. As someone, you know, like yourself, who's, who's played a lot of video games and also done lots of e-commerce, um, do you think there's anything to uh, this idea that, that video games and e-commerce kind of I don't know, that they tickle the same part of the brain? Yeah, for sure, 100%. I think it's definitely, like, related. There's definitely some overlap. And I think video games did make me who I am. Like, the ability to get obsessed with something so much and, like, just lose yourself in the moment. But when it's got, like, a marketplace in it as well and you're, like, actually making money in the game and leveling up and stuff, that transfers over to e-commerce because you're doing pretty much the same thing but with real money. Was it startling to go from uh, where the, the stakes were, whether or not you'd go to the next level to, to stakes where, you know, it actually kind of matters if, if things don't go well because you're going to lose a bunch of money? Was that, uh, was that like a, a big jump for you to make? It can be pretty difficult, but at the same time, it was sort of just natural because you, you have that experience in video games like where something doesn't go wrong and you can just get a do-over and go back and fight the boss again. You can just keep going and learning from your mistakes. And that applies to real life as well. Even though, yes, there is more at risk because it is real life. We're playing with real money. But it's still, you know, you can always try again and you can keep going and learn from your mistakes and do it better next time. And so, I mean, I think with, with video games, people would oftentimes just just play into the night. I know I was guilty of this where, you know, all of a sudden it's 3 a.m. And, and, you know, you thought it was maybe 10 o'clock or something. Did that happen to you with, with e-commerce? Did you, did you have this, you know, time warp experience that I think all video game players have had? Yes, all the time. That's called being in flow. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And do you get your best work done then? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I've had times where I've had missed phone calls, people coming into <laughs> my room telling me things, and I just don't even remember. Nothing else exists but the computer. So you didn't particularly like uh, school when you were younger, didn't like the pace, didn't like the topics, just kind of weren't, weren't digging it. And it was clear uh, you know, to you that, that from the time you were 15 or 16 that the, uh, kind of the traditional educational route, that that just wasn't going to be um, you know, something that you, were, that you were cut out for. And I'm curious you know, what, it, what it felt like when you decided at this you know, relatively young age, you know, this, this thing that's really standard and probably pretty safe, um, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Was that exciting or scary? I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to not liking school, but most of us don't, you know, pull the trigger as teenagers and say, I'm just, I'm going to gonna do something else. What was the process like of, of going from, you know, I don't really think I like this to actually saying, I'm done with this, I'm doing something else? 
again, it was kind of natural. Like I didn't really have too much pressure and pushback to go to university or college and get like this like real job and stuff because of the way I grew up. I was taught to think a little bit differently and because of the early you know, introductions to video games and marketplaces and making money online, I knew there was other avenues to pursue. And I knew that like you could make so much money online if you just put that obsession from video games and um, focusing on school into that, that I could make money on my own terms. I never really saw myself going to college or university and working a real job. Just from a really young age, I just didn't see that happening. So yeah, I almost quit high school I almost didn't go through to year 12, but, you know, I did. What's, um, you, what's year 12 for the non-Aussie uh, Year 12, that's like the end of high okay. school. Okay, you'd be about so 17, like, like 18 or something like that? Senior year, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned a couple of times in there uh, pressure to get a real job. Do you have a real job now? No. <laughs> well, okay. well, I mean, I guess <laughs> technically. <laughs> so, but, you know, so full-time, it's just full-time e-commerce now. Yeah, yeah, okay. full-time, yeah. And why, why would you say that that's not a real job? I mean, I know what you mean. I, I, I get it. You, you're talking about like the, the conventional like, you know, nine to five thing, but if it doesn't feel quite like a real job, I mean, what, how would you describe that sort of work life? Because I think for a lot of people, it is bizarre to not have hours, to not have a, a boss really. What's that sort of work life like? Well, by real job, I mean like not being employed by someone else mm-hmm. and having a set work schedule where you have to wake up at seven in the morning and go on a commute and go work for someone else and do stuff that you're, you're delegated, like people delegate to you. Right. But when you're working for yourself, it's kind of like difficult in a way where you have to be your own boss and be the adult and go and get things done. But if you're not setting a schedule for yourself, you just you can put things off and procrastinate and then don't make any money. And you see the negative effects from that. A lot of people, they learn how to work, you know, in, in the working world in this quote unquote real job. And they do have a boss that's kind of, you know, directing them a little bit, telling them or directing them a lot, telling them what to do and when to do it and everything. You not having had that, do you think that there's some, I mean, some things that you had to learn, you know, the hard way, given that you were maybe lacking you know, direction a little bit because you were kind of making it up on your own? Yeah, there was definitely a lack of direction and structure. And if you don't really know what's going on or what's going to produce your results, you still have to like go back and test and keep doing and keep working and keep being obsessed with it until something does break through and work. So if you don't know what you're doing, then you're going to have to try a lot of things. It's also really hard to actually control yourself and actually do the work instead of playing video games or going on holidays. Because if you're not doing that, then you're not producing income. If you basically are your business and you don't have anyone that you've hired to do like the jobs for you, then you are your business and you have to keep working to keep producing income. And if you do slack off or take like an extended break, then things can go down the toilet pretty soon. You said that it helps to to keep being obsessed with it. And this is a you know interesting phrasing. I think it's something that, that people in the e-commerce space understand that there is kind of this obsession that that gets you know built up and you really want to always level up. This is like a, you know, you're never done in in this business. And so is this being obsessed with it? Is that something that's, that's learned? Is it something that happens over time? Once you see the first sales come in, how does this, this process of, of being obsessed with it in, you know, in this good way, how does that take hold? I think because I was doing it by myself for the first time and everything was new and I actually wasn't following like a course or any structure. I was just doing it through trial and error. It was just my, my natural thing is to go and see 
how far I can take something, how far I can actually go. And once you get into that, the momentum builds and you if you see results, then you're going to want to go and double it and just keep getting obsessed. Obviously, it's hard if you're struggling and you're not getting sales, you're not getting results. But when that breakthrough does happen, you're like, okay, this is completely validated. Let's just see where this goes. Can I do higher than this? Can I go higher than this? And you get stuck in this flow state of momentum where you're just obsessed and you can't see yourself doing anything else. Mm -hmm. So your first store sold bracelets with uh, fitness related quotes attached to them. So you, you already had a fitness blog at the time. And so this was a good merger of, of this existing audience that you had cultivated with products and, and monetization. Did you have uh, your eye on, on turning this into an e-commerce endeavor when you started the blog? Or was this um, going from fitness blog to fitness products um, only something that emerged, you know, later on. Okay. So back then it was 2016 and I actually did have a real job. So I ha <laughs> I've had one job and it was a receptionist for six months. So I was working reception. I didn't really have a side hustle at the time. So things, you know, you start something up and it goes well, but then like maybe it stops working or, you know, it's over with. So I took an extended break from it. Um, and I decided, you know, let's try this real job thing. Let's get a job. And I did. Uh, and I got bored of it within the first month. So I started up a blog. So an affiliate blog. At work? At work. Yeah, okay. I was working. <laughs> yeah, most of my time was gone to this side hustle. Okay. Though. Yeah. Okay. So I was working part time at the time. Yeah. So I started up the blog. I was writing articles, trying to sell other people's products. Like I was linking them to ClickBank like the affiliate platform ClickBank okay. where people can get affiliate revenue. Um, and so that was doing well. I was doing it for a couple of months while working my job. I think I made about a hundred bucks. So like, you know, as these things go, they snowball as you keep going. So the plan was to build that up into something that would produce as much as my job or mm -hmm. more, which I was being paid $14 an hour back then. So it wasn't very much. Uh -huh. <laughs> And then with this, I was doing a bit of research online, online forms about affiliate marketing and making money. And I came across this thread where this guy was documenting his journey of arbitraging AliExpress products on his own website. So this was about 50 pages long mm -hmm. and I spent all day just reading all there is to know. And I was like, well, I already have my own website. Maybe I could just add a store to it and test a product with this existing audience and see if it works. And it did. I got my first sale within 24 hours of reading that thread. So he was talking about dropshipping. Yep, dropshipping. It was was the was dropshipping or was this business model anything you were familiar with at the time or this was a, a revelation for you? Um, no, it was completely new. Okay. I knew you could sell online products, but mm -hmm. I didn't know that you could do it with little capital and just order from the supplier once you got a sale. Okay, so then what happened with, with this fitness store that was kind of this add-on uh, to to the website? So I was getting a few sales organically. You know, I had a list of maybe 50 people and I promoted that to them and that's how I got my first sale. Uh, but after that, I was commenting in Facebook groups and doing a bit of group hacking, hacking to try and get people to come to the store, try and get traffic. Back then, I didn't know anything about Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. So I knew completely nothing. But eventually, I got enough organic sales that I was like, you know, let's try Facebook ads. Let's try and learn this. And yeah, I got a fair few sales, um, 300 orders, but the supplier didn't ship any of them. Mm, okay. Nightmare scenario, the make a bunch of sales, but nobody gets their product. Yep. Yep. Okay. Nightmare. And then was that, I assume that was the end of that store or what, 
what happened next when the uh, when the suppliers flaked out? Yeah, that was the end of that store. I couldn't find any other suppliers, you know, selling this product. It was sort of a handmade product, so they had to actually have workers, you know, assemble the jewelry and put the charms on it and all of that. So it wasn't really mass produced. And yeah, I just couldn't. I didn't know what I was doing back then. It was 2016. It was my first ever store, and I just decided, you know what? Let's just refund all these customers, and I'm done. I'm at a loss mm-hmm. at, the, at the moment. I'm yeah. at a loss. Let's, you know, try something else. In the second store, if I understand correctly, you had the same the same problem as the first one, but just on a bigger scale. So you went from having you know 300 or so sales that. Um, you know, fell through because the supplier didn't didn't ship the products. Uh, this happened to you again, but maybe you had leveled up in such a way that uh, the fail was a little bit more painful. Talk talk about that. Yeah, so history did repeat itself, but I thought I had the problem solved, but obviously I didn't. Uh, I trusted the supplier, had the stock and all of that, but I was scaling up during Q4 and it just became a bit of a nightmare because they didn't have the stock and they weren't transparent with me about that. I was actually in Bali at the time. I was scaling up my ads. Uh, I actually hit new revenue highs. Like I doubled my previous day of sales while I was in Bali on holidays. But so you're I, living the life. At yeah, this point. <laughs> yeah, living the life, sipping bintangs in the pool, watching my sales go up to like eight thousand dollars a day, and I was like, "Wait, how do I fulfill all of these? I don't have like, do they have the stock? Mm-hmm. Can I re- fulfill all these? And can I manually do it? Like, uh-huh. I wasn't sending like CSV files or like have an agent or anything. I was going straight through AliExpress through Aberlo, and it was a bit, bit difficult to fill them all myself. So that sobered you up. Yes. Once you went from uh, 8,000 to actually figuring out how to... Yeah, I didn't have the systems in place. I didn't have a team to actually go and like, help me fulfill the orders and all of that. And so what came of this store? I burnt out and quit it. Okay. And this is, I guess it's worth noting that you actually did more than $500,000 in sales. I think it was over 12 months, right? Yep. Okay. And I think a lot of people could put up with you know some headaches if there was a you know, six figure thing going on, you know, uh, that would make the headaches worth it. But you, um, you use the phrase burnt out. I mean, you, you weren't in a spot to, to keep going, I guess. Yeah. Like there was so much to do and I was just one person and I didn't delegate before I scaled. I didn't delegate before I accelerated basically. Mm. And that caused a nightmare because at the time I just, couldn't delegate. I didn't have the time to try and like fix it. I had to just do it all myself and keep going and you get trapped in the hamster wheel. Mm. And, um, like I, I went through, like I, I was fine. Um, I kept going, fulfilled all those orders. Everything was going great. But then the major supplier issue happened where they just really couldn't get the product out. And that was around Chinese new year. And I'd never gone through Chinese new year before. So you know, it's where they shut down for like a month. Yeah. Um, and it was just just major headache, hundreds of customer emails a day, um, trying to keep on top of all of that. And I was like, you know what, I'm actually losing money at this point. Why not just take a break for six months and just reflect on where I want to go? Because it was just too much of a logistical nightmare at that point. Yeah, we had a, um, a story about you on the Over the blog, and there was a great quote where you said, I wanted to do it all myself because it was so much fun for me. But eventually problems happen and you're so focused on fixing the problems that you can't hire out once it's too late. And so I guess that's, I mean, that's where you were, that the, uh, there are a lot of things that you could have used help with, but it was too far gone to, to implement that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I know better now. 
thankfully. Okay. <laughs> so like all of these things that happen, even if, you know, it was a store that did 500,000, but I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And now I know this time and I can 10 times that hopefully with implementing like hiring and delegation and making sure everything is in place before you actually scale up. Now that you've had this pretty, you know, this face plant, so to speak, with the uh, with the, the big store and not having orders fulfilled, what, what could you have done or what should you have done um, if you were going to, to be scaling up that big? So first off, I should have had someone actually handling the emails and the customer support because what I do, I'm basically the marketer and I am building a business. I don't want to be the business. I don't want to have it 100% rely on me, everything. So big, a big thing that took up most of my time was replying to customers, making sure they were happy, processing refunds or shipping more orders out, as well as replying to comments on ads. So like to get more attention and get higher conversions from the people who are interested in it on mm -hmm. ads yeah, as well as that actually fulfilling the orders so uh, like going in a burlo and like doing all of that like fulfilling all the orders yeah um, but what I'm doing now is I'm actually working through an agent because once you get to a certain point you have like a lot of profit and um, it's costing a lot to like employ people or you don't really want to do it that way because it seems a bit like um, you could do it more efficiently. You mean like at, to, do, at that to do it with freelancers, for example? Yeah, or? like freelancers uh -huh. and stuff. Like yeah. that works. That works for some people. But I, I do want a little bit more transparency with my stock. Like because AliExpress suppliers can be a bit sketchy, and in times like Q4, you do have to have make sure you have the stock in in hand. That's with my last store. I was, you know, I didn't really have the stock levels. I didn't know. And that's why that problem happened. So this time I'm going through the agent to do that. So I, I know hundred percent what stock I have and it's sort of easier for the whole process, the whole fulfillment, especially when you're doing like volume. AliExpress suppliers. Let me, let me ask you, you just said that AliExpress suppliers can be a bit sketchy. What, uh, now I've, I've heard horror stories as well. I'm not, uh, I'm not challenging you on that assessment. I'm just curious what exactly, uh, you mean by, by that? And what are some things that people should be aware of? Well, like I said before, my other experiences with them, they don't necessarily always tell you how much stock they have. You can ask and normally they'll just say, yes, dear. Yes, dear. We have, we, we have they all the stock. Yes. That? They, that's, that's how they address <laughs> you. And, and, and I say it back to them. I'm like, Thank, thanks, dear. Just tell me how much stock you have, please. Right. Cause I need to know if I can scale. <laughs> so, so that's, that's a huge pain point is just the not knowing how many products are available for you to sell. Yes, yeah. yes. That's the pain point. Like I, I had those issues with the last store, the $500,000 store, where I just, just didn't have the stock. And they were more transparent than the other supplier, but this time I really just wanted to make sure that there was that stock there. Yeah, because I guess otherwise you could be selling, selling products that don't exist. Yes, which yes, is the... which is sort of what happened last uh -huh. time, yeah. I think one of the, the interesting things about your story is that it answers the question of why everybody isn't drop shipping. And this is something that we see when we talk about how you can you know, start a store for 500 bucks or when we talk about how you, know, you can mark up products three times or five times or whatever, we always get comments like, if that were true, then everybody would be doing it because you, know, you just hack the world. If you can start a business for 500 bucks and then you know, have a, a 5X markup on every product, why wouldn't everybody be doing it? And, and I think your, you know, your situations that you've experienced show that the reason not everybody does it is because it's, it's really hard uh, and not just the, 
the marketing and the, the product sourcing stuff, but just the intensity of it all. I mean, you were talking about scaling and scaling and scaling, constant orders, questions, mistakes, everything. Talk about those sort of challenges, not the, not the stuff about optimizing your, your target segment on Facebook or you know, ha- handling a high volume of, of customer questions, but the, the stuff that goes on that might weigh more on, on your psyche as opposed to just being a logistical hurdle that you can you know, hit reply and then it's done. There's a lot of other stuff going on. What, what's it like when, when that starts to get a little bit out of hand? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of pressure. And when you're doing the customer service, if customers are angry at you or like attacking you, then you are the customer service. So sometimes you take that a bit personally and it just it's disheartening to get all of these refunds and complaints coming in because you are the marketer, you're marketing this product, you, you're trying to f- solve someone's pro- problem by giving them this product, then to have them come back and say, you know, this never arrived and stuff, it it is a bit sad to experience that. Um, as well as that, it's just like I was saying, the pressure, like if you're a one-man show, you haven't delegated and you're running this full-blown business and you've never ran a business before, like obviously I had a little bit of experience, but if you've never done that before and you don't really know what like what to do to solve the problems and you don't have like a mentor or someone to guide you in it someone that's been there before it can be very difficult and definitely a lot of pressure the Habba hotel didn't prepare you for well for it it did <laughs> but like more of the like marketplace uh-huh. stuff like how it actually works like supply and demand yeah. and a little bit of advertising as well because the rooms in Habo you could uh, there was these listings and they would show up for everyone but if if you had a bad title it was sort of like SEO for, yeah, sure. for this for the rooms and if you had a bad title then no one would click it so sort of marketing in a way that mm-hmm. experience you kind of hit the reset button at this point, stopped running stores, started reading books, basically had a bit of a, of a recovery period after the crash of this second store. And one of the things um, that you said you learned is that you were just doing too much solo. So in this in the story that we have about you uh, on the Overload blog, you said, uh, I realized I was doing way too much by myself and that I needed to actually connect with people and work on myself. What does that mean exactly? Because I think that that if you, if you had said, uh, I realized I needed to, you know, spend more time on freelancer networks and outsource more work. I think that kind of you know makes sense intuitively. People know, okay, hire out, outsource a bunch of stuff. But what does it mean you know, when you talk about connecting with people and, and working on yourself? I guess I was just working so much on the business that I just didn't really know who I was. Like I, I needed to go back to the basics and really like figure out what I actually wanted to do, what impact I wanted to have in the world. Like, you know, getting all these refunds from customers and scaling something up only to have these mistakes happen. I, I just wanted to reflect and think what I actually wanted to do. Is there something bigger than this? And like, what do I enjoy doing? What are the tasks in a business that I enjoy doing? And what would I want to delegate? And what um, I actually wanted to do with my life, really. Uh, So I read a lot of books. I did a lot of personal development, a lot of soul searching, really, like uh, a lot of self-help books, a lot of business books, um, all of that. And I tied up a lot of loose ends, stuff that I wasn't doing in my personal life. Like there's a lot of things that I neglected, like I neglected self-care and neglected spending time with people and a lot of things like cleaning out 
the shed in my house we had like 20 years worth of stuff in there like this is a big big shed (laughs) and we were meaning to clean it out since forever and it was a lot of my childhood memories were in there so I went and made this massive bonfire and set all that on fire like burned my childhood and it's sort of like moving on to the next chapter of my life that's what that whole break period was and also to recover and you know become myself again and what were you recovering from would you say is this like kind of the the when people talk about burnout, is this is this exactly what you're going through? Yeah, if you if you really lose interest in what you're doing and you just you you wake up, it's like when you wake up and go to work and you dread your job. If you start dreading it and you start feeling like I can't do this anymore and like there's just too much work to do, sometimes that is burnout. That is a sign of burnout. Um, if you have, if you did hire people and um, things were delegated and you were doing the things that you enjoyed, then you don't burn out as much. As well as if you're doing something that's not really your passion, you're not really passionate about. Like I wasn't really passionate about the product and what I was selling, so it sort of didn't have that meaning for me, and that's why I burn out. I think uh, maybe it was a little bit of self sabotage as well. You know, when you get to a certain stage of success, sometimes you're like, "Do I deserve to be this success?" Successful, or do I deserve to make all this money? But um, like, is what I'm doing like helping? But yeah, it it was helping. Like the customers were enjoying the product, but then there was a lot of refunds, so mm-hmm. it wasn't helping at that point. So yeah, I just needed to move on and reflect. Is this? Uh, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about kind of like self maintenance, or just kind of the things that you should have been doing that you that you didn't. Do you think it's it's in some ways more challenging to to have these these habits ingrained into your routine if you have such a unique work setup where you're where you you don't have weekends off maybe i mean you you might be working you know 7 days a week or you don't have the the like we were talking about earlier the the more conventional structures is it do you think it's unique to to this kind of e-commerce game or is this just something that that everybody and um, no matter what they're doing that they need to be be taken care of. Yeah, for sure. Everyone can experience burnout. Even if you're working a regular job, like things get repetitive and stale. And if you're not like doing different things every day, that's a new experience. You do get into this stage of like, what am I really doing here? Like, like my life's not exciting and stuff. Like obviously mine was exciting. I was scaling up the store but then the bad things started happening and that's kind of like it is a new thing but it's a bad thing and you don't want that so you took the time off and you are now back into e-commerce so i guess when you did the soul searching you realized okay this isn't this isn't all bad what's uh what's different this time around so this time i really like the product i'm selling and i want to actually develop this into a real brand and see how far I can take that. With the product before, I wasn't really thinking like long-term, like can actually build this into like a really profitable, sustainable long-term brand. But this product that I'm working on now, yeah, I think I can, and I can transfer that from dropshipping to something better. As well as that, I built sort of an audience around myself. Like I started sharing my story and connecting with people and that sort of motivated me to get back into it and see where I can really take this thing. Without giving away too much, what, uh, what is the product or what is the, the general ballpark 
of the product? So the niche is stationary and it's stationary, some, okay. yeah, it's something my mum ordered organically off AliExpress. Okay. So this is it was a total coincidence. I wasn't really planning on starting up a new store, but I was like, you know what, I love this product. This is a cool idea. My mum was the the target audience, like the audience uh-huh. research. So you understand the target audience. Yeah, so I so I understand her, I understand why people buy this product. Let's see what I can do with this and test it. And it worked when I tested it. So I've just kept going with it. I know that communicating with other entrepreneurs or people who are who are thinking about entrepreneurship, um, that that's something you embrace. You have a, an Instagram account uh, at Real Emma Reed, I believe. Yeah, where people reach out to you and, and you, know, you kind of swap ideas or advice or whatever about entrepreneurship. What are some of the things... As you know, you've talked about sharing your story, so I think people are probably you know reaching out to you with their stories. What are what are some things that that you hear consistently that that people are perhaps struggling with? Well, people all the time like mention that it's really expensive to get started with dropshipping. Like they just don't have the money or they don't have the time, and that's all bullshit. To be honest, I started with basically ten dollars and I bootstrapped my way there. I learned everything through trial and error and just had that mindset of it's gonna work because you can learn anything you put your mind to and you can be successful if you just put in the work and you just keep going. Does that advice resonate or are they do they think that you're just BSing them? No, no, it resonates with them. I actually wrote like a blog post on how to get started for such a little money. Like I don't have a course or anything at the moment, but I just wanted people to know this is where I came from. This is how I got started and that they can do the same thing themselves. And so I put out like step-by-step instructions and how they would actually do it. Now I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from that. It's actually inspired people to actually go and start dropshipping because they can do it with no money as long as they just put in the time and effort. So uh, yeah, a lot of positive feedback from people. Um, A lot of people just, a lot of long messages saying like, you just changed my entire perspective on this. Like I I really can do this. I can, I can start with nothing and go as long as I like keep reinvesting the money back in and making sales organically until I start the ads. Like it's basically telling people how to get that initial investment to start running the ads. Mm -hmm. All right. If you Product-related things I want to hit on before before I let you go. So first off, I want to ask you about jewelry. This is a, a category that you had success with before. I know you've you've said that it's you know it's a good one, especially for for dropshipping. What what is it about jewelry that that makes it a category or a niche worth exploring? So it wasn't necessarily that it was jewelry that I was selling. It was someone's favorite animal, but on jewelry. Mm-hmm. So that was the niche. It wasn't jewelry. The niche wasn't jewelry. It was animals. Mm-hmm. So someone's favorite animal, like their pet or favorite animal, whatever. It was that. So jewelry is good. It's a good product. But if you don't have like a passionate audience around the product, then it can be hard to sell. Like I see all these people going out and selling like watches or general jewelry. Mm-hmm. That's not what I was selling. I was selling something that already had like a large following and people were loving this animal and they wanted their favorite one on like a bracelet or a necklace or a ring. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely it's about the audience, not really about the product, like the audience product match with the angle and the offer. And so the target group uh, that would be into animals, is this what you would call a a niche community? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a fairly large niche community but mm. like because it's animals but there's definitely a lot more like smaller ones that you can still make a lot of money from cool okay plus one product what's a plus one product and why should people 
think about this in a, their stores? A plus one product is where you take one product and make a whole store around it, but you have upsells and related products to sell them as well. So if we're taking uh, animal jewelry, for example, as a, as a case study here, what would, what would the, the plus one angle be? If, if that's your core thing, what, what are you going to build out around it? So let's say you have a necklace or something. You will run the Facebook ad to that necklace and what it's all about. And then in the cart, you would upsell them like the bracelet or the matching ring. And then after the sale, you can upsell them like t-shirts or anything else related to that animal because they clearly like love that animal and they want the product to do with the animal. Maybe they want more of it or upsell them as gifts. Like, do you want to gift this to someone? Um, Like we have a buy three, get one free deal where you can like gift them like a gift Mm -hmm. pack. So it's really about that and making more money off the one person. So you can do the same thing with like a niche store, like where you have all the related products at the bottom and stuff. But I find that making one store completely around the product, it allows you to really resonate with that audience more and do like the branding and the copywriting really about that specific person. Mm-hmm. So the whole store is to do with that and then you upsell the products later instead of trying to like all of the distractions like clicking off and looking at the other products, just get them into the funnel, get them to buy and go from there. And finally, what are some non-paid marketing channels that you uh, you mentioned that you help people get started if they only have 10 bucks or whatever? What what are some of the ways that, that you recommend Uh, they approach that when there is no ad budget. I did a bit of an experiment with my recent store where, you know, I was just going to get started. I wasn't going to throw a bunch of money at it. I was going to go back to the basics, do what I've always done, try to get sales organically. And the way I did that and started drumming up attention and traffic was commenting on Instagram. So I made an Instagram page for my store. I posted a couple of pictures to get it started, started posting on stories And then I went and reached out to the niche. The community was on Instagram, like through the hashtags and clicking related tags and trying to find who was actually going to buy the product. Mm -hmm. And then I would comment and interact with them and ask them questions, get that going. And I saw that, you know, they would come and buy the product from that, from that interaction. If you're interacting as a real human and you're being relatable to the person, you're trying to understand them, um, what their needs are, if they like the product and all of that, if it's going to solve a problem for them, then they are probably going to go and buy. You're probably going to get traffic. So I was doing that a hundred times a day and I tell everyone to just reach out to your audience a hundred times a day on Instagram, <laughs> like comments, not just liking and follow for follow, actual genuine comments and just be a human. Don't act like a robot. Don't act like you're spamming and you will get sales and build a community. On top of that, it started naturally happening that people wanted to become an ambassador for this store. They mm. wanted the product um, for like a discount in exchange for promoting it to their followers. So accounts started reaching out and I decided, you know, let's try this ambassador program thing because I've heard lots of people doing like influencer marketing and ambassador programs and all of that. But I decided, you know, let's give this a try and let's try to actually get a lot of sales through this. Let's see if we can, if this is scalable. Um, Because at this point I still wasn't spending money on ads. I was still trying to build it up organically, Mm -hmm. test the product that way like I'd always really done, but just not on Instagram. Um, And yeah, so I signed them up with the ambassador program, gave them a personalized code for 20% off. So all of their friends and family and followers could get 20% off. And then if they use that code, then the ambassador would be paid 20% commission. Mm -hmm. So I would lose about 40% of 
the product price, but since my margins were good, I would still make money. Mm-hmm. And I, the ambassadors were actually some of my first like profitable sales because I would give them their own personalized code that they could use for 40% off to order the product themselves. So I would DM all these people saying, do you want to be an ambassador for my store? And if they said yes, and they were interested in the product, because I would target people that were probably going to buy the product anyway, they would actually buy it. Mm -hmm. They would buy the product from me and I would make money off them, not off the people that they referred to the store. Yeah, so the initial sales were from them. So there's plenty of ways to get sales organically. You can, uh, I don't think it's very um, good to do right now, but back in 2016, as I was saying, I posted in Facebook groups you know, about the product or like pretended that I was someone who just bought it, you know, all those sneaky ways. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, you can try to rank on Google and post in forms and answer comments on blog posts and yeah. stuff. There's just so many ways to get sales without ads and then build up that capital to spend on ads mm-hmm. once you know the audience. All right, Emma, one more question for you, then I'll let you get out of here. And I'm curious, what is something or what are some things that you wish you knew when you started that you didn't, uh, but that you do know now. So if there's anybody out there who's, who's just getting their uh, e-commerce business off the ground or if they're just thinking about it, um, what's some wisdom that you would uh, give to them that, uh, that you didn't have when you were taking your first steps? Just test everything because you never know what's going to actually work until you test it. You can look at all of these theories and what everyone else is doing, but what works for someone else might not necessarily work for you. So just keep testing and finding out what is working. And once you've got something that works, put your full focus into that and keep repeating that action because that's how you actually progress further. So don't be afraid to test things. Don't be afraid to fail and actually lose a bit of money or, um, you know, have bad experiences. So like bad supplier experiences, bad scaling experiences, just keep going and don't give up on trying until you actually have it working. You can do anything you set your mind to really. And I just wish I had the confidence to do that. Like with my first store, like Obviously, my whole life I've grown up with that sort of mindset, but just actually knowing, yes, you can do this, you can set your mind to it and learn the thing and put in the effort to get those results. So figure out what you actually have to do every day to get the end result and you will succeed. You will get the end result if you just don't give up. All right, Emma, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. No problem. Good to be here. All right, David here again. Thanks once again to Emma for joining us and thanks to you as well for being here today. If you're looking for more episodes of Start Yours, you know the drill. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. We're gonna be releasing more, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything coming up. And of course, we'd be tickled if you took a moment to review and rate the podcast. Also, Oberlo.com has you covered for blog posts, eBooks, and other goodies on e-commerce and starting a business. And you can find Oberlo on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you wanna reach us via email, shoot a note to podcast at Oberlo.com. Again, that's podcast at Oberlo.com. Talk to you soon.